Good morning, boys. How you doing? Good, mate. Good morning. Good afternoon, so, good mate. Afternoon, mate. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, good morning for me, man. It's uh, been a <laughs> long day. <laughs> You've had recruit training today, but uh, it looks yeah, like well, it. Good recruit. Sometimes you just see a mega star in there. And I think in there today, uh, after three days, I've seen two mega stars in there. And it's fantastic. That's the thing that I love the most, you know, is you take people three days ago who've got no idea about prospecting or listing. And then in three days, not only you give them a bit of that injection in terms of energy and their mindset's totally different, but their skill just prove it to me that if our own people were really training, seriously, in three days, come and watch these guys. You came for the end of today. Uh, yeah. What did you think of those two superstars? You yeah, know who I'm talking yeah, about. The yeah, two, yeah, excellent, excellent. Very good. And you could see it in their confidence, even the way they're delivering the material. So. And that's the beauty about it. And usually I see that already on day one. What I can't see on day one is how bad the people who can't do it are on day one. Okay. Because on day one, we don't have enough role plays. We don't have enough for me to gauge it. And I think it would be very much unfair. So usually on day one, I know who's going to do it. Mm. And I know who uh, I'm on the fence. Mm. And there's one thing I know now <laughs> is that usually the ones I'm on the fence about are the ones that don't make it. You know, and so I think it's a matter of trusting your gut instincts rather than trying to be too nice and wanting people to succeed no matter what. You can't make people succeed. Yeah. You know, you can't change a color of a person. That's what I meant. They've got to want to do their own push-ups. Yeah. Oh, well, we just came back from a kickstart in the Hunter Valley, boys. What do you think? We did. Good. How did Good. it go Fantastic. for you? Fantastic. For me, it was, I think, kickstart number six or seven, so I've done yeah. quite a few now. I, right. I think it was probably one of the best. We got the most out of it this year. I think both myself and my leader, have, our mindsets have changed a fair bit. We're on a lot more of the same page, and I think we're a lot more proactive in our decisions. So I think the kickstart itself or what we got out of it this year was excellent. Right. I got stuck in a fucking health retreat. Yeah, what happened, man? No what bar happened? fridge, no phones allowed. Out. <laughs> 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 at least twelve kilometres from the conference centre, so you couldn't even get a beer and walk home. Are you serious? It's the soberest kickstart in rugby league history. Very disappointing. There's no although bar doing, fridge. Although doing day two without a hangover was a new experience <laughs> for me. So twelve months ago, Cypress Lakes, which is a huge complex already, bought a health retreat. It's at the back of the property. Right. Another 300 acres. And what they don't tell you on your website when you book a room is if your room you've booked is in the health retreat part or the normal part of Cypress Lakes. Right. So the room Crystal booked, they said, oh, we'll just show you on the map where you are and we'll dead set in Perth. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, Crystal's like, don't worry, when you get there, I'm sure there'll be something in the fridge for you. No, Nothing. <laughs> Nothing in the fridge. And then there's signs up everywhere saying no mobile phones and please be quiet. And I'm like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> so, yeah, I had about, uh, apart from dinner where we had about five glasses of wine. <laughs> yeah. Compared to last kickstart where I took a case of wine. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no. but they, they, that dinner, you went to Muse. We did go to Muse. And how, yeah, how did you find had, that? It was a five-course Degustation. Degustation, yeah. yeah. Actually, it's not five courses. He's done it three three or four courses. It was four courses but then you with have the optional cheese yeah. butter. And, and the the, the, then the optional uh, oysters. And yeah. and then he had like some additional without you even uh, having to choose. That's we amazing. did the wine matching with it. Yeah. And so I thought to get some wine, because I'm staying in a frigging health retreat, we better get the optional cheese platter and we better get the, <laughs> the optional dessert to get a couple more glasses of wine in. No, but it was beautiful. Wow. You ate there, didn't you? 
Yeah. Oh, well, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic too. Yeah, nah. uh, their signature dish, that, that coconut. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I've had eaten anything quite like that in a long time. Well, I haven't had a piece of Wagyu before that I could cut with a button off. That oh, there was, you go. Yeah, I didn't get the Wagyu, but yeah. The 70, hours, 70 hours slow cooked. Wow. Small portions, which doesn't help me well, retain my beautiful shape. Your but, figure. Uh, well, yeah, hang on, you two guys on a bit of a challenge with each yeah, other. Don't even right? start, he's a cheat. What yeah. do you mean I'm a cheat? No, 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 I'm, we're on a challenge, we're on a challenge. The challenge is by July to lose 10 kilos each, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe you a bit more since you look like an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> how does a guy who's four foot tall yeah. walk 10 kilometres in a day? You know how many steps that w- must be Who are you talking you? about? <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him a message, I said, take your watch off the twins because I'm sitting there on <laughs> my couch. <laughs> I'm sitting there on my couch half pissed while trying to watch the tennis <laughs> and all I can see is these numbers going... <laughs> Like a bloody speedometer. Yeah. And well, uh, mate, it wasn't the uh, wasn't the twins, man. It was Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I put mine on Jimmy because he takes bigger steps. But no, uh, no, no, no. That's the one thing that I, we had to stop because first we synchronized our watch to uh, each other. And we invited each other on on that activity uh, you could see app. It. Yeah. So he could see every step and percentage. So you know, first day, man. I thought I better start early. Then the competition that we had is the most number of Ks within a month. So I thought straight away, for the first 10 days, I'd go flat out because you create such a gap, he'll have to give up. But then <laughs> in the afternoon, start walking and I'm looking at my watch. He was at 0% by 10 o'clock. And now by 12 o'clock, he started to catch up. He was at 36%. And so that's it. The, the competitiveness in me kicked in every five minutes I had to check. And that's not good. <laughs> I hadn't charged my watch and I rang him on the first day and said, oh, I'm not going to feel comfortable, one, getting beaten by, or two, beating a 50-year-old man. So why don't I give you a head start? How about I give you a kilometre for every year that we're apart, which is 13 kilometres. Oh, no, man, you'll probably beat me anyway. I don't need a head start. When my watch fucking charged, he was already on four kilometres. (laughs) (laughs) He already had his head start, and I haven't been able to catch him. And I bloody, mate, I'm a big boy, my thighs rub together. So after my first walk... (laughs) (laughs) I was having having massive issues. So the Sunday I woke up, and went, right, I'll get him. I've never gotten up at 6 o'clock in the morning ever. And, I'll and he did get me because when I woke up... I walked a full lap, lap of carrying. The dogs never walked so far. The dog was half dead. <laughs> I was walking sideways because of the chafe. And I, I thought, he's not up yet. He hasn't checked because 10, 11 o'clock, he was still on zero effectively. And then <laughs> the next morning, the sharing was done. I'm like... Something's wrong with the watch, mate. The sharing's not on. He said, <laughs> fuck that, it. I can't keep looking. <laughs> no, I had gone to a uh, to some friends to watch uh, a movie in the garden. It was a movie in the garden. That was fantastic, like 50 friends. And it was as if you were in the uh, gold class, you know. So I came home late. But then I forgot to pick up my watch when I woke up in the morning, right? So I'm doing a few things. And then, shit, I have just given him a few thousand steps. And I'm, I'm running upstairs, I'm grabbing this watch, and suddenly, this dude's way ahead. I've already done five Ks. And so I found myself by the afternoon seriously stuck to the screen, <laughs> stuck to the watch. There and wasn't thought, a lot no, of action in the yeah. other. So this, this is not good. I thought, this is not good. <laughs> so what we're going to do is, man, we're going to disconnect it so that he can't see what I'm doing. Yeah. We're going to be honest because the watch is actually pretty honest. It keeps a tap, yeah. right? But because he, he won't be able to see me, and I won't be able to see him. 
we do what we do normally. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, two bits of fuck all from me. <laughs> My last two days. I think I'm on one point seven k's for today. No, which proves a point. You know, sometimes even in sales, if you can just get yourself hooked onto a guy who's going to be as competitive as you, or even more. You, 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 you forget about your pain. You forget about the fact that you have to walk on a treadmill and after 30 minutes you're exactly on the same spot. You forget about asking yourself about questions about like why would you do these things and and damage your cartilage when you have to live past <laughs> 100. Maybe that's when you should start using your cartilage. Uh, and why are my thighs bleeding? <laughs> <laughs> that's a question I'm asking myself. <laughs> and let me ask you something before we get into kickstart. Yeah. You go to the petrol station. Yeah. Do you pay or do you park after you fill up and then go and pay? Ooh. No, I fill up, pay, and then piss off. Oh, yeah, I fucking thought you'd be one of them. You should be shot on site. TL, someone's behind you waiting. You see them there. You fill up your car. You look at them, and then you walk in and pay, or do you park your car up? No, so they if can there's fill a spot up? where I can move, I move. If there's no spot, I'll uh, I run. Mate, I fill up. Yeah. If there's someone behind me, I park my car and then I go in and pay. And every time I get a wave, a thank you, or whatever. I go, hopefully they do it for the next person. Twice, same service station, two weeks around. Today it was pissing down rain. This old bloke fills his Mercedes up, looks straight at me. I'd already been sitting there for five or six minutes waiting. Looks at his watch, then fucking toddles off inside to pay. Still pissing down rain, still waiting, still trying to get down here. Yeah. And to your point... Right in front of where you fill up at this service station is seven parking spots for the bottle ah, shop that's right moved. next door that right, are empty. Right. Didn't move, but me, I filled up, car behind me, and the cars were backing up on the street, got in, parked outside the bottle shop, went and parked, and everyone was like, thank you so much. I wouldn't expect that from you, Denola, because you're a grub. <laughs> Thomas is 50 Don't hold 50 back, on. tell me what you no, really think. I think if you don't. I think if you look someone in the eye, see that they're waiting, and then still take your time and walk into the servo and pay before you... Park your car I think people up, are in too I much of a yeah. hurry sometimes, and nah. that thirty seconds or a minute it takes me to go in, pay, and come back to the car. Man, I, re- I reckon you've ro- already started on the wine, mate. I, I had Marietta here in uh, in I the group, started. and she actually said to me, she thought the last podcast was great because for once, <laughs> you look great, you sound great, and you know one one of the things that I I, I noticed, one of the feedback that I get, we get a lot of feedback, but one of the most common feedback we have is that every time that we actually refill our glasses apparently people do refill their glasses at home as well <laughs> so they're all there waiting for a drink like yeah. we haven't started so, so they so also good. have three bottles but they're cheating because they have three bottles by themselves <laughs> where, where we the three of us right sharing three bottles we're nice people all right so let's have a look at some of the wines today so uh, what do we start with sam shardy or a which year is yours 2014 okay well we're gonna start with my scarborough <laughs> the obsessive again but this time it's a semillon Oh, you brought the same. Not not a Chardonnay, all right? Mm. So 2018, you want to start it, mate? So we all know Scarborough. Mm. We we all have heard the uh, podcast with Jeremy. I can't believe you Obviously, Semillon, the the grape from the Hunter region. Have a look at that color. Nice, clear. I'm a new uh, adopter of the Semillon. The last few we've had, and it was... Obviously, Scarborough's is nice. The other one we had from Ernest Hill, that delicious Semillon. You guys are like, right. come on, me. boys, let's try it. Cheers, cheers, mate. Cheers, cheers man. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. Obviously, being a Simeon, this maybe it's a crime to open it now. Probably this could be kept another 10 years, no problem. 
We had a 2011 last week. That was a nice M. That's the one that you stole from your wife. Yeah, that was a good drop. Yeah, that was a good. You one. accidentally picked it up on. No, that purpose. was two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, the one I stole yeah. from her. Yeah. Yeah, 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 two weeks before. Yeah, sorry, darling. <laughs> hence, hence the health, the health spa. No, but I do know. <laughs> what, I, what I do know for sure is that she hasn't listened to the podcast yet because I'm still married. So <laughs> I know when she's listened. Man, our one fridge is empty. That's the other thing we didn't do in bloody kickstart. I didn't have time to go anywhere and fill up. Yeah, uh, we didn't have the time. Is well, it was a good kickstart. I think it was, you know, every single year when we do kickstart, in the end, I always feel like you have to read the room and read the group and see what the group needs because it's always based on the same material. We, we kickstarting a year, so it's, it has to be the same material, you know. But one of the things I realized is I always tell myself, I know it's not the same because the dynamic's going to be different. I'm going to be reading the room a bit differently and then I'm going to probably go in a slightly different direction with uh, information. And so when we get to the end, I always tell Veronique the same story every year. You know, good or not good, we will see it after Kickstart. That's how you see whether it's good or not. Mm. But this year, there was something special that you could see that um, I think that salespeople and even leaders are hungry for information beyond just skill. You know, they, they just want something a little bit more than just getting listing and getting sales because they do know that. Mm. And, and quite often they don't have the energy or they have lost the energy, they've lost the drive, or some of them are doing it just like donkeys, silly working six, seven days a week and not understanding that the little amount of profit they're making, that's not even enough to pay the hospital when they're going to be yeah, broken, right. you know? Yeah. And so I, I think that somehow... This year, I've noticed that search or that thirst for a better way of doing the same thing, if you will. Yeah. This year, and I don't know if it was intentional, I felt there wasn't as much focus on forecasting figures, but rather forecasting culture alignment within a business. Yeah. And really getting us to understand what did work, what didn't work last year, what are we going to implement this year, how are we going to improve it next year. There's more focus, I believe, this year on those items rather than just facts and Absolutely, figures, absolutely. Which was the outstanding. I, I really yeah. got a lot more out of Normally it. Normally you would have noticed that by the end of the first year, we're only finishing the plan. And if you notice really by the end, the plan was, we didn't even touch. It was like, you've got it. You can work your own plan now. You've got the graph, follow the graph. You've got your own thing. So the, those papers that people had to prepare, the ones who had prepared it, well, they, they knew what to do. The yeah. ones who didn't prepare it, well, they had no plans. One of the things I also have realized with a lot of uh, salespeople or, or a lot of leaders is many people do plans, not many people follow plans. And so after the first month, I guarantee you, plenty of people don't reopen the book. Yeah, probably. I know that because when they call us and ask us, when is that event? <laughs> we have to tell them, it's in the manual. I know straight away, you haven't touched it. Mm. You know, as for me this year, it was, I don't know, call it an epiphany, call it, a realization, call it, I finally woke up to myself. But I was looking back going, why now am I looking, okay, so next month we need to sit down with and go through the manual and see where we're at, maybe see where we need to adjust and revisit the manual. Where previous years, it wasn't that obvious to me. And I don't know if this year it was because we're rebuilding a team and we want to drive a great culture this year um, right. forward and I need that guidance. But this year I really look at it like, now this is, I've got my roadmap here, I just need to refer back to the roadmap and use that moving forward. Mm. So there was a, there was definitely an air of 
to your point, a lot of people in the room had to realise that how long can I keep fucking doing this for, especially amongst our older leaders. Mm-hmm. Why now, though? Because we've heard you're the first one to say it. The kickstart's very similar every year, and a lot of the talks we have are, are reasonably similar, but there was a change in the atmosphere this year, and a lot of that is probably down to people finally clicking to the fact that, fuck, I'm whatever age I am, I haven't got that long left. I still don't have a team, but why now? Why not previous years when we've talked about it before? What do you think was different this year? Why do you think more people click to it? I don't know, maybe, maybe the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. I, I think that um, it may be that because the top leaders have now reached a level where that's no longer enough for them. You know, I keep on saying this. Salespeople, in the beginning of their career, you can attract them with money. But after a little while, when they've got a lot of things and materially and, and realize they're still not happy, mm. they're still having same issues at home, they realize that, you know, maybe that's not enough. Same thing for our leaders. Like some of our leaders, yeah, they make uh, a million in his heyday. Um, one of our top leaders is nine million. So at one stage, he has to stop and say, well, those nine million did not spare me from the same problems I'm having as everybody else. Mm. And so they realize at that point in time, hold on, you, you can't just run another year because it's under a new label, it's under the label of 2020, doing the same thing. So I, I think it's a question of maturity. Uh, I think it's a question of having enough, but it's more or less the same association at the top. Okay. I think you did a very good job of your motto for the two days was no team, no business, and you wanted that drummed in. And I think the fact that that started from the first minute we were in there, um, I think initially would have challenged a few people's egos because yeah. we all run around. You know, sorry, Chris, not you, but we all run around <laughs> saying... Thanks, I'm mate, a yeah. business owner, I'm a business owner, I'm a business owner, but there's a, a very good book called The E-Myth, The E-Myth Revisited that explains yeah, exactly what you were talking about. You're not a business owner if you're the one who is the only person listing and selling. You're not a business owner if you are got to do the marketing as well. You're the one answering the phones, you're not doing that. What you've got is a job, not a business. Right. And I think because you made that a focal point and your mantra, a lot of would have attacked a few egos and went, oh, fucking hang on, I've got a business. And then as that ego subsided, they people started to realise, fuck, I don't have a business, and once I stop, my business, in air quotes, is gone. And I'm not a leader of my salesperson. That was probably a bigger... A, yeah. If, if I can't go away tomorrow and the business still run, I 100% don't have a business. And a lot of our guys and a lot of people everywhere in, in life are in that position. Yeah. Now, 90% of real estate offices anywhere in the world. Yeah. So they're not a business. No. They're a, you're a salesperson with an office. Yeah. Right. For whatever reason, I don't, I don't know why it was different this year. Maybe because you made it so simple and broke it down into four words that everyone can understand, no team, no business, that there was probably a lot of self-reflection there. You know, I joked about being in a health retreat, but there was a lot less partying this year than in other years. So I think there was a lot clearer minds there and people actually had the mental capacity to, yeah. to absorb the information and do something with it. Because I know, you know, personally, the first three or four hours every other year of each day have just been me going, fuck me. yeah but maybe another thing too is that we're starting to have a few spouses Mm. and that also plays a very important role i mean your team came with angela yeah robert's wife was brought an absolutely wonderful feeling to the the weekend so 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 you 
can tell us how different was it to yeah, the years. Yeah, I think it was fantastic because we, Rob and I have got gone through it. We've probably come a, a fairly complacent with Kickstart because we've done it so many times before. Having Angela there, maybe we took it back and level and simplified it and went through things step by step. Right. And instead of breezing over, forced ourselves to really get involved and, and talk with each other and set out the future plans and so forth. And Angela stepped up into certain parts that we weren't able to fulfil. So f- for me, and I even actually said it to Angela, it, it was wonderful having her there. It brought a different energy. Mm-hmm. And even coming back, it's brought a different energy to the office, Robert and myself. And I think having that spouse there was fantastic. I know, Cam, you had the beautiful crystal there, punching above your weight. Well, how was that for you this year? I ended up in a fucking health retreat. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> how do you think it was? <laughs> no, it, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> It brings a different level of accountability and, and for me personally it was very nice for someone else to know the material so that it's not all on my back and when, when it doesn't happen there's someone else to go, well, let's go back to the manual and work out what steps we're missing because I, we haven't had that in the past. So none of the concerns that, that could have come out of Crystal being there arose, which was great and uh, you know, Chad was just as happy as I was to involve her in all the conversations and... Because of the restructuring we've had in the office around her role as well, it's already paying dividends because she's got a clearer picture of what it is exactly Perfect. we're trying to achieve. Yeah. It alleviates you having to remember all the little bits and pieces you need to implement along the way. If you can share that burden, I know you've got Chad as well, but if you can share that burden along with Crystal, that's where I found Angela to be helpful. The little things that we weren't doing, some of it were most important where it would help drive culture. I'm not a systems guy. I'm not a processes guy. I sort of fly by the seat of my pants a lot of the time and I'm quite successful at doing that. I can do that. But Crystal's all about systems and processes. Yeah. So uh, but you're still system. Yeah, but, but maybe not you're not, not orderly. to the not to the point where I can't sleep at night if we don't have that system. Yeah, where, I understand, where, but where you're Crystal still system. Is. Like, you know, I think in your office when you started as a salesperson, you were probably the first person who did the presentation word for word. Yeah. So you were a system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you could see that already. But uh, I think like me, you're more like a system where it's important to you. <laughs> they, yeah. If it's not important, who nah. gives a shit about so system, right? Yeah. So there is someone else to look after. It's like uh, even here, for me, Veronique, Charlotte and Kaylee, they, they they run most of the yeah. system that I don't even want to know. Yeah. Right? My list of top 10 things, yeah. having the procedure manual with every I and every T or even existing, it wasn't in my top five. So to have now Crystal who obsesses over that stuff. She's policing it and she's putting it into place. Well, we've got to put it into place first. You can't yeah. police something that doesn't exist, yeah. which we're still working yeah, on, yeah. but it would never have gotten done. Yeah, I've had your procedure manual since October last year and, yeah. and I've and since then I've done nothing with it. We've done so. two drafts as well. We've revisited that twice. A kickstart, Angela had given us a procedure manual, which was a OHS procedure manual. She goes, but we've got one. I said, but not a sales procedure manual. So she's now taken the two of them, eliminated from doubling up. Yeah. And when that's implemented, which will be over the next few days, it's taken a burden off from yeah. Robin and us to get that done. Yeah, yeah. So which is great. Yeah, I think I think that the good thing too, you know, when you have your partner there, it, that person may remember things not that you forget, but that you overlook because you're in a different world. And remember, we all live reactively, right? We all live based on what we perceive. We never see reality as it is. We only see reality the way we perceive it. So if we perceive it when we feel great, 
well, the reality will be a nice kind of rosy re- perception to us. But if we are reactive and business are suffering, well, it's going to be that kind of color. So we, when we have our partner who can actually be neutral, it brings us back. It's a little bit like, do you know when photographers, before they take photos in a room, they actually go and put a camera and their senses on something that is really white. Because from that, everything else is calibrated. So when you're running a business and you're coming home and you just lost a salesperson or things have not been going the way you want, how great is it to have that bouncing ball that is pure white? Mm. Because now it can reset the way you thought reality was, but yeah. we're wrong. Yeah, It makes it too. There's a lot to be said for, we talk about it in training. You, the more you train someone, the more you learn yourself. And the, the one thing I found is because pretty much everything had to be explained to Crystal from scratch and broken down and why is this number this number and you know, simple things like fixed costs and cost of sale and all that stuff. It's stuff that because... Chad and I, Chad's been around it a lot longer than me, but even I've heard the same thing over and over again. You gloss over, you know what it means, you know where it's heading, but to actually have to sit there and break it down and explain it made us focus, or me personally focus, a lot more on those little things because I was trying to teach it and go, fucking hang on, we're setting a target here, but now that I've explained all this and broken down exactly what it means, we can't do that. And we're kidding ourselves if we think we can. There was a few adjustments made just purely by the fact that I had to explain some stuff from scratch. So when I had to teach my son how to pass a football, actually I had to break down the mechanics of passing a football and all of a sudden I realised that some of my techniques weren't quite as sharp because I hadn't been teaching anyone to pass a football, but teaching someone about the systems and processes and the goals actually re-instills that in you and reminds you of the bits that you're missing. It refreshes it. And that's what I was saying before when Angela was there. I think we become, I don't know if it's complacent on the the figures, the numbers, how we do it and filling in those blanks and we just do it autonomously. Yeah, yeah, that's right. For chat, no, break even's X amount a month. Right. We don't, doesn't matter what A plus B minus C times Z equals, we get to that bottom figure and And that's all we focus on. But Crystal's like, no, what's A plus B and what's Z? Even simpler question, what's BEP stand for? Oh, okay, rightio. Well, it's break even point. But, and then we have to break that down. So then she's stepping in who does the books. Angela pays the wages. She pays the cash. She goes, well, that, that's actually probably not accurate. Okay, well, we need to relook at that. And it's something we implement. So it's a great thing, absolutely yeah. a great thing. Yeah. I'm waiting for you to tell me I was wrong. I wasn't wrong. <laughs> it's great that you're talking about your Isaac because a lot of people think about kick-starting their business. I want to come back to that because we want to talk about it today, but... Last week was also when our children went back to school. So what about us kick-starting, as parents, kick-starting our, our kids? Well, the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways I got from kick-start this year, and again, wasn't a new takeaway, but because the facts and the figures and the planning wasn't new and we'd done the graphs and we'd done all that stuff, you took me to a few different places and maybe some other people and a few of the comments and the, and the talk about life balance and the leaders realising that they've been doing it for 100 years and still don't have a business... And you talk quite openly about my children at one stage, Thomas, and parenting. And I'm starting to come around to the balanced life, not pick the phone up thing. But today was a classic example. Today was Isaac's first ever swimming carnival. It's the first carnival as a school kid he's ever been able to compete in. He's been going to swimming lessons a couple of times a week. And we had a shitload on today. Like We've got a couple of sales that are meant to go unconditional. I still don't know how some of that's going. We've got some issues with staff that we're dealing with. We've... Um, a few people days off today and different things, but Crystal said, he's swimming carnivals on Thursday, we should be there. And probably for the first time ever, I went, yeah, we'll, we'll be there. And I just booked out the morning. 
So we think his race is at 10 o'clock, so we leave the office at 20 to 10. We get to Peninsula Leisure Centre. As we walk in the door, Isaac's on the blocks. I'm like, hang on, his race has gone a bit early ahead of time. They're about to blow the start button. He sees us, bursts into tears, jumps off a block, comes running down and says, I can't do it, I'm scared. And we're like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> the one race that he can go in, he's, he's jumped off anyway. Turns out to be a good thing because he'd ended himself in the open boys 100 metres. He can't swim 50. <laughs> it was the wrong race. So anyway, we're like, oh, man, we've rushed down here. We're, we're trying to do the right thing. He's in a mess. He's not even going to swim. What are we doing? Anyway, we got him back together. Mate, go in the eight-year-old 50-metre race. That's what you're here for. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so he gets on the blocks. He's at the end. Crystal and I are sitting at the end of his lane, which was by accident, not by design. Jumps in. The swimming he did was nothing that I've ever seen taught. <laughs> he was heads up. He's flapping around. Anyway, he's gapping the field. He's ahead by 10 metres at one stage. I'm like, Crystal was starting to talk to someone. I said, he's fucking winning. He's winning. And I'm grabbing her. And we're looking. She's like, put your head down. And she's getting into it. Anyway, the gap slowly closes. He's still five metres ahead. There's five metres to go. He's going to win this thing. He stopped. Grabbed onto the rope. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Five <laughs> metres from the finish. His teacher from last year who was bone dry had to jump in to get him off the rope to get him out of the pool. Five <laughs> metres from the fucking finish, he was winning. Oh, man. So I'm glad I made that time in my son's life to see him get five metres from the gold medal and stop. <sighs> There's lessons in that, man. A lot of lessons. There's a lesson for Too Far Wilson, which is what I call my wife sometimes. She's a sports mum, mate. You can't. <laughs> she The rest of they got out of the pool and everyone's clapping him because he was visibly upset. Chris was like, you are winning! Oh, darling. <laughs> darling. <laughs> Everyone's watching. <laughs> he came over and gave him a hug, and I'm sure because of the world we live in today, he'll still get a bloody ribbon for not finishing the race because yeah. participation medals are the thing, but... Yeah, if normally with the stuff we'd had on today, I wouldn't have been there. So I, d I definitely don't want to get to a point where I'm 60 years old and still the only person in my business who can make money, so I don't have a business. But I also definitely don't want to get to 60 years old and have never seen my kids at a school carnival or spend any time, which is nothing I've ever wanted, but I've always been able to justify it by I'll, I'll miss his race today because we've got $60,000 in unconditional sales meant to be going through and all of them are messy and I'll miss my son's race for that, but... Turns out I saw his 95% of his race that he completed and we still might get those sales over the line. So, And he'll remember you being there, mate, and that's the thing. Yeah, well, that might have gone pear-shaped. <laughs> 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 Isaac, if you're listening, I love you, mate. You did your best. Well done. You um, still get a medal. You still get a ribbon. Uh, well done. No, but it, what, what I'm trying to say is this, you know, a, a lot of parents don't realise that we have to kickstart our kids too in the new year. We have to give them goals. We have to set things with them because in the end, we live in a world where each year we have to try and achieve certain things. And so hopefully like parents have done that too because going to kickstart and not having kickstarted your own family, <laughs> that's a little bit of an issue, you know. So that's where it starts first. Yeah. We probably didn't do that. I know Crystal did some goal setting with Isaac earlier in the year and he said, I want to get better at maths. She said, okay, how are we going to know if you get better at maths? He said, I want to do better in the test. Okay, what sort of score do you want to get in the test? Ten out of four. <laughs> <laughs> you need to work on maths. <laughs> so he picked the right goal. <laughs> I'll get off topic for a little bit, but he's the only classroom in the whole school, no air conditioning. You know what? I don't mind it. 
get a bit of adversity into you. Yeah, I think... Learn under tougher yeah. conditions. It helps to have a comfortable learning environment, but by the same token, I think we're becoming a nanny state. This is probably ready for another podcast for another time. The first thing I, I think, thought of was, shit, we've got to get some air conditioning for the school. I thought it was a business. Like, hey, what can we do? We've got to get them air conditioning. And I thought, you know what? Our office air conditioning broke two weeks before Christmas and everyone remembers how hot that was. We're having 45 degree days, no air conditioning. We still had to work. Yep. So you know what? I thought, ah, you can go without air conditioning for a little while, mate. You'll be fine. You're paying $150,000 a quarter in school fees, so you want bloody air conditioning for that type of money. Three <laughs> <laughs> I want three machines, even two break down, the other one's still going. <laughs> no, so I have done all that, and, and so this is why I say, you know, kickstart is so important. When, when you're a business leader, you have to start the year by knowing, all right, what am I doing? And I think there are two things that I truly believe that a business leader should really have. One is a team but two that is a business that means that it's a team that allows you to have time to do other things than just work so for me really a real business owner should get to a level where they're only working one or two days a week and really the business should really run without the input of a leader if you're not doing that then there's a few things wrong and one of the things wrong i believe is that you got the wrong culture. First of all, it was no team. If you have no team and you're the one who are responsible for most of the listing, you got no business. You're just a glorified salesman. But I truly believe that we need to have a culture. You need to have a set of rules and conduct by which the entire team lives by. It was interesting to say that the first thing that you said required to create that culture is a procedure manual. Yeah. It's the very, very first thing. Looking back in you know what we've done in the past and having to implement one of our very own and not yeah. not one that we've ripped off another office that we had sitting there, one of our very own, you can see now where you are actually creating those rules and creating those guidelines for everyone to abide by, not just by the people that you employ and you stated this as well, one set of rules for everybody. Yeah, And I think that's for us, the first part of the roadmap is to implement that and get that going. Before we have more staff come in, as soon as they come in, we go, here you go, read this. You know, yes, I mean, listen, we're all driving. I'm sure we all have passed the same test. We're all driving on the same side of the road, at least in Australia. <laughs> we all, you know, stop at the red red light, hopefully. Right? That's, a, that's the culture of the road. Yep. There has to be a culture in the business. That will create the opportunity to run team. Because if you don't have that, there's no way you have team. All you do is you're prisoner to a 400-pound gorillas because the 400-pound will dictate the culture that you have to live by. Right. The 400-pound will break and destroy whatever culture you have. The 400-pound will actually destroy any newcomers because the, the, the faster the newcomers are gone, the faster the 400-pound gorilla will be by himself, and then, therefore, you now have to play by his rule. Yeah. The... Procedure manual, though, being there doesn't take away from the responsibility of the leader. We talked a lot about culture last week, so we, yeah. we don't need to go back over the whole thing. No, but yeah. if anyone's thinking now that you've said that it starts with the procedure manual, that they can just write the bloody procedure manual and, and forget there it, it is. No, absolutely. Forget about it. So That's it's sort why he of said it start, man. He never said it is totally dependent what on What comes it. first, the chicken or the egg, though? First, you have to have as a leader your values set and know what standard you are trying to uphold and live those standards. Then you need a book that represents that for everyone else to follow. I don't believe the book comes before the 
No, I personally believe that the book has to come before because if you're waiting for a leader and every leader to really live the right values, man, we'll never have a business. Mm. And have a look at some of the biggest business in the world. Have a look at some of the biggest country and governments. Are you telling me that the leaders are really living the values that they have in their anthems? They, they are living by their real personal values? Come on. Yeah. So I think you have to have something that really sets the rules. And then you have to really, as a leader, you have to force yourself to abide by these rules without breaking them. So we've got this procedure manual now. It's just, and I was thinking about this since Kickstart when we're about to implement it. So myself and my leader, we've gone through it and we yeah. understand it. And we're about to issue it to the new people that are starting over the next couple of weeks. I was thinking, should we be giving this to uh, maybe someone outside the office, maybe even within our organisation, to have a look at the procedure manual, maybe to find weaknesses or areas that we can improve within that procedure manual? Or is that something we just need to uh, rectify with time as those issues come up? Crystal visited Peninsula on Wednesday and came back and said, oh, we're screwed. <laughs> she said, "I know I'm keen, but even I'm gonna. It's gonna take me months and months and months to implement. But their procedure manuals are so thorough and so to a standard. There was a couple of things that Michelle from Peninsula picked up in our stuff that they hadn't covered, and vice versa. If, for example, I took my procedure home, if Crystal wasn't in the business, right, and I said, I need you to look over this and see what bits were missing. If she's not in the business, she's not going to know. Yeah." So probably with other officers. I personally, I have no problem if you want to show it to somebody. But if you're really fair income, you can go through the procedure and go, all right, that's how we run our show. These are the values we espouse. Okay. And as you go, all you do is you're actually going to start closing loopholes. Okay, today we found out that there is a problem with, with this sale because it happened that way. Mm. All right, from here on, this is how we're going to go. From. Right. And then you... Change that okay. component. So that's probably what I was scared, not scared of, but I was worried about is those loopholes within what we've implemented. And maybe that's a, a failure of wanting everything to be perfect straight away instead of getting something implemented and fixing it so along the, the way. So the technical aspects are something that people are going to be able to help with from other businesses. Like we just said, the cultural aspects aren't because yeah. each business is slightly different. Yeah. Everyone has their own culture that they're trying to implement. I think that really in the end, People who are going to put these procedure manuals really need to consult with their leadership because I think that it is so important that the leadership lives by it. You know, I, I look at businesses that are revolving doors, mate. They either have no procedure manuals or they have procedure manuals that the leader is the first offender right. or the worst offender. I mean, every business has got a culture, whether it's a good culture or bad culture, a culture of vultures, a, a, a shit culture, a perfectionist culture. Every business has a culture. Right. So the problem is when the leader doesn't live the culture. Yeah. So I think that when you put up that procedure manual, you're going to have to have a look. If we can't turn up, for example, in the morning to the office before 10, don't freaking write in the thing. Everyone should be at the office at 9. Yeah. You should write, everyone should be at the office on time. You know, <laughs> so remove the time because it at least remove the problem for yourself. Yeah, right. That's good. The the other thing I was looking at in that book was constantly recruiting. Yeah, constantly. I believe that's probably something we failed to do in the last couple of years. Yeah, which where we couldn't create that team. So when someone leaves, that's making a decent income for the office. You're not feeling as bad. So why do you think small business owners? 
don't understand the importance or don't even value the importance of never-ending recruiting. Five grand a month. That's what, what you pay someone. Right. That's why people don't value never-ending recruiting and always putting staff on. I'm burning in that position myself. Because it costs five grand a month. Because to change your mindset from looking at the bank account going, I can't pay someone five grand a month at the moment to I need to pay someone five grand a month at the moment to fill the bank account. It's mindset. A, it's a whole rewiring for a lot of people and a lot of mm. what we like what I used to call logical thinking. Logically, if you're struggling for funds, you don't put more people on because how are you going to pay them? If the salesperson you about to have is a Darren Butcher, yeah, would you worry about the five thousand? No. <laughs> okay. So if it was a Abdullah Chudari, would you worry about the five thousand? Would not hire the bloke. So it's all right. <laughs> no. No. So you wouldn't worry. So the question that we have is: Do we have the know-how to get a brand new it to perform at that level as fast as we can? Uh, yeah. So the onus is still on us. It is not the five thousand. It is, are we going to waste the five thousand because we don't know how to make that machine go to work from day one, or the opposite? For example, yesterday I was actually looking after a team, and there was a sales guy who, for the last few months, hasn't done anything at all. He actually takes his leader for granted, and so yesterday I, I took him aside. I, I said to him, "All right, what, what's the forecast for today?" So he said to me, "Uh." Well, I'm, I'm going to go for three listing appointments. I said, hey, listen, man, you need to understand this. At the end of today, you and I, we're going to talk. I'd rather you tell me something that when we have a talk, I don't feel like you just lied to me this morning. So he said, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very conservative Then I'm going to go for one. So I said to him, are you looking for a job somewhere else? He said, uh, uh, no, I'm going to go for two. But the point is, at the end of the day, the guy got four listing appointments and has worked much harder than ever before. Why? Because there was a manager behind him who was not going to take laziness or mediocrity for granted. And so it's one thing to have the team. Do you really have the procedures and the know-how to make that team going? Then that's the key. So when I said last week, no team, no business, that's nice. But really, I, I should really say no team, no business, right? Big team, n no leadership, no business. Mm. So that is also a danger. Because I've seen people who have recruited constantly and they constantly lose people. And you know why? Two reasons. They have a culture and a procedure for the team that they don't abide. Mm. And they've got a huge deficiency in management skill and people never stay yeah so it's no performing team no business that's the crux of it you know deep down whether you, your leadership and your management skills are up to task i think everyone does i think a lot of us live in la la land or or denial about it and because we know deep down that our leadership skills up to task that's where the 5k a month comes in you're like i gotta pay this person 5k a month and i know i'm not going to be able to get them up and running for six to twelve months because that's all what's ever happened in the past so then, well, fuck, maybe we have to wait till we make a few sales before we can put people on. But if you've got no one to sell the bloody things, how are you going to make a few sales? But, but so. do, you, do you think that way, Cameron, do you think that way saying if I put someone on, it's five grand a month and I don't have the skills to get them to there? Or do you think I need to get the skills to be able to get them there? Mine was a bit of both. So when our business wasn't going very well, we 100% didn't recruit because 100% we went, we can't afford an extra ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a month in wages right now. Because we know we're not going to get them up to speed quick enough. Right. Or we think we know. This is old mindset, right? This isn't current day. 
where I went from there is I need to grow my leadership and get the skills so this isn't an ongoing problem. So whether the thinking was right or wrong at the start, it was probably wrong, but because I was having those thoughts and saying I'm not going to be able to get them there quick enough for it to pay off for us quick enough, I made sure that I keep training, keep growing, keep annoying the shit out of the Roland deodorant over here. Okay, so association, obviously, <laughs> Roland deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a little bit, but I got it. <laughs> Just like man, <laughs> he's going to pay for it. He's, he's follically challenged. All right, so I, I, I got to give credit to that for Mario Fennick. We're in the South Box for a game against the Roosters one day, yeah. <laughs> and we know how love uh, Thomas loves a, a cuddle and a bit of man love. Well, yeah. Mario came up, hugged him, kissed him, might yeah. have even give him a lick on the ear, and said, "Mate, head like a roll on deodorant, get him." <laughs> 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 So what I was getting, what I was coming back is, is with that leadership that you knew, was it a, okay, was it a skill thing? Was it a mindset thing? Was it a, an association thing? Where did, where did you improve? Cause your leadership obviously well, has there's improved. A, there's a lack. Well, was it a mindset thing? Was it a skill thing? Was it, was it all was of it the all above of at the time? Yeah. There's a lot of lack of knowledge. So obviously from a leadership standpoint, I shouldn't have been thinking that way to begin with, but I didn't understand till I sat down with T.O. one day and we did some spreadsheets and he showed me what five salespeople looks like versus what one salesperson looks like, even with the costs involved and all that stuff. Until I actually saw that and understood that, that was the day my mindset changed because up until that point I couldn't compute that spending more money right now when you don't have money makes any sense. So. I guess, yes, the association, because if he hadn't showed me that, I'd probably still be thinking that way. And he'd been saying it for a long time, but there's a sometimes people are visual learners, everyone sort of picks things up in different ways. He'd been telling us to hire and recruit and recruit and recruit, and you idiots, you need a team and you need to recruit. It wasn't until I saw the spreadsheet where I went, ah. Yeah, right. Okay. So I guess the answer to your question is all of the above, but... What did I do to grow myself? I looked at the spreadsheet and went, oh, now that makes sense to me. Let's go and do it. Okay, and then so I did it. Was there a point where you put your hand up and said that? Was there a point where you put your hand up and said, what do I do to grow? Uh, or did Thomas come and grab you by the scruff of the neck and say, you idiot, do it this way? Well, what, I'm pretty what, what sure it? it got to that point. He called me and Chad and said, we're having a meeting and we're going through the spreadsheet. Or I called him and said, can we go through the spreadsheet with you? It was pretty much a, you're not hearing me. You're not picking up what I'm putting down. And, and at the time that was happening, business was not in a good place. Yeah, so yeah. the thought of spending that money was gut-wrenching. Daunting, like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Enough to make a bloke drink. Like <laughs> <laughs> you need any help with that. But anyway. The point was, am I a business owner and do I want a business and do I want to work for the rest of my life? I want to be a business owner. Still to this very day, I'm not a business owner. Predominantly, you would still say I'm a salesperson with a fancy title. I don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to swimming carnivals and... Soccer matches and whatever they, they may soccer, do. Stupid game, but... <laughs> Dance recitals. So there was no, oh, I need to grow. It's, do you actually want to run a business? Do you actually want a business? I'm not very good with goals, but one thing I know is my whole aim in life is get to a point where I can work by choice and not necessity. Yeah, right, okay. That's why I seek out the spreadsheet so it can make sense to me. You've got to be able to explain to me how hiring five people at the moment makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> I've had the business for two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not too fucking egotistical to say I don't know everything or anything. Let alone. So if you don't know it, ask. Good. Pour yeah. the wine. Pour the wine. So this one's hot on the heels of uh, Daniel Montez bringing in the Bogan for me last last <laughs> week. That was a bloody beautiful Shiraz, that. Mm. I like that. 
this is a happy accident, this one. I went shopping today and I got to grab a bottle and I went to my favourite seller that does the boutique wines and I went down to the bottom, which is normally where you go for the cheap stuff, but this one is a Californian Chardonnay, a 2014 variety, and it's called the Fat Bastard after you, Chris O. <laughs> okay, Slim, tell us more. Tell us more. Well, Thomas is the one who introduced me to American uh, wines of any type. It was the first time I had one was with him. This is from the Monterey region on the central coast of California, where the ample sunshine is tempered by the Pacific Ocean. So it's meant to be... Bloody f- reading the bloody label. Yeah, I am reading the label. I haven't <laughs> had time to research the Monterey region in California. I'm sorry. I'm sure you did read, today. Read, read the um, line under Fat Bastard. Remarkably full-bodied Californian <laughs> Chardonnay from 2014. <laughs> That's clever, so it was worth it for the name alone and by happy accident to 2014, which means it should be bloody good and it was Californian and if it's anything to go by the Californian wines that Thomas has shared on occasion, we could be in for uh, something good. California is a very dry climate, huh? It's um Yeah. Yeah, a lot of desert and stuff. So obviously the Hunter Valley is a pretty dry climate most of the mm-hmm. time as well and produces good Chardonnay. So obviously the Chardonnay now That's grapes. an amazing thing, you know, California. It took a, a genius to come back and take on the challenge of uh, growing vines over there, where people said it's impossible. How do you grow wine in a desert? Yeah. Uh, it's just crazy. Crazy. So we'll pour the fat bastard while three fat bastards sit around and taste it. <laughs> All right, let's try these. Two fat bastards. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Very nice. Oaky, huh? Very woody. Got some wood. Mm. That's nice. If anyone's ever up our way, Gosford, the cellar I find a lot of these wines is in West Gosford, the Oldfield cellars there. You wouldn't think much of it. It's in between a petrol station and a gym. But um, if you're ever driving along the Central Coast Highway on the left-hand side, get Oldfields. into Oldfield cellars. They do all the craft beers there and a lot of the boutique wines. Beautiful. Um, how, how, how do they compete against Dan Murphy almost across them? That's amazing. Yeah, well, I think, to, uh, to be honest, to go into Dan Murphy's and find the um, – the good wine, you're, you're in a bloody football size, especially in West Gosford. I mean, this this cellar's 150 metres from Dan Murphy's up there, but the sheer scale of Dan Murphy's makes finding that one section where they've got the Honey Valley wines, which I only, I've been going to Dan Murphy's in West Gosford for 100 years. I only found the Honey Valley wine section three months ago. So there's something to be said for marketing yourself as a boutique wine and beer seller, and yep. you can go in there and generally find... You won't find anything standard there. It's the first bottle shop on the Central Coast I've seen sell the, the Obsessive. That's good. He Scarborough. Needs. That's good. And cool. the guy there will print out, which I probably should have got him to do, all the information. He'll give you a history lesson on the wine while you're there. If you, oh, uh, wonderful. If you've got the time. Yeah, that's custom. I didn't have the that's time good. because some bastard in front of me chose to pay for his petrol before he parked his car. Get over it. And I lost Got a breach. Get over life. it. One of them. You're going to start on the fires again today as well? I, I, bet, you, I bet you it's ScoMo's well, problem that you be parking on the there. And, uh, ScoMonavirus. Sco- he, he be- <laughs> Just going back to uh, what you were talking earlier about um, recruiting people. I, I don't look at recruiting people as 5,000 because until they're in, they're not in. Number two, from my own experience, I have sold champions to other offices. So for me, it's actually a money-making exercise. That's abundance mindset. So there's, there's no loss for me, right? And then here's another thing. You guys into sport, and we all have children into sport. Great swimmer, my how, how come sports work their bum off to find people that they have sitting on the bench and small business like ours don't? Yeah, it's a good analogy. Huh? You tell me. Yeah. So, so, for example, you, you lose a performer. 
what if you had three jhanas sitting on the bench? Waiting would to step would up. that worry you? Yeah, absolutely not. There's a skill component to the recruiting as well. Like something I'm not very happy with at the moment is my recruiting skills. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the time that's only born out after a couple of months with the staff that you've recruited and you, right. you sit back and go, shit, where did it go wrong? And it can always be traced back to the first interview or the opportunity day or the signs that you missed or things like that. So for someone who doesn't put any effort into growing their skills as a recruiter and, and studying the art of recruiting, it's an art form to find the right people and not just hire anyone. Yeah. I mean, if you've got $100 million in the bank, sure, hire every single person you interview and hope for the best and eventually you'll find one. Yeah. But especially for people who are scared of five grand a month who are still thinking that way, one way to avoid that is to be absolutely best you can at the actual recruiting process. And that that's a skill in itself. And, you know, I used to think, oh, I'll just get some people in and interview them and I can tell pretty quickly whether they're a dickhead or they're not a dickhead. But sometimes, well, a lot of the time, yeah, you're right about the dickheads, but even the people you think are good or aren't, you're not skilled enough to actually find out for sure before you, you go, oh, they did 100 calls on Opportunity Day, we'll give them a job. That was my standard. If they came in and did their calls and had work ethic, I ignored everything else and just went, go, have a job. You know, it's funny you say, mentioned something about recruiting, I think it was in the last podcast, about the guy who says at 5.30 is what time do we leave? Yeah. And then you've got the other guy at 6 o'clock going, can I have a key? Yeah. Because I've got to lock up because I haven't got my three appointments. Right. We had a opportunity today the other day, and a young bloke. He didn't pick up the material very quickly, but very, very keen, very eager. Asked him about a bit about himself. Always the leader in his um, soccer team. Always the captain. Very well spoken. Very well presented. And that kid sat at that table the entire day and did not ask what time we left. And at quarter past six, was still on that phone, still punching out numbers. Yeah. And we were there going, man, he's 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 got to get a jersey. We've got to give him a run. Yeah. Because the simple fact that he was not going to quit until he succeeded is what we were looking for. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not enough. You know what? And it it's may a not bloody good start. It may not be enough, and hopefully, the culture that we're going to instill in him and the training will help him get to where yeah, he needs to be. There'll be other there'll be other things you can pick up on. Look, it sounds like you did exactly what I would have done. I would have given the job straight away. Yeah. What I'm fast becoming aware of, and it's only upon reflection when I go back through people's interviews and, and look for where did this all go wrong. Staying back, doing the numbers and doing the work for one day is not enough. I think that from what Chris is saying is that he had at least the right mindset. With a bloody good start, yeah. Mate, when someone is nine to five and I see, you know, employees who come right on the dot of nine or later than nine because before nine, they fucking too early. And then when it's five o'clock, they have to start packing. Mate, those guys don't make it in life. They, they are the ones that are just going to earn enough to just pay bills. And listen, I have no qualms in saying this, right? Back in my days, man, I worked as a manager, apparently in training, because in training, man, I didn't have to be paid. I worked for free as a manager for a year. Who cares? I mean, I thank the leader for the opportunity I had to hone my skill as, as a manager. These days, especially these days, when you have a, those kids coming to you and they six o'clock, they're still going because they see you busy. Shit, man, that, that kind of guy will go far around me. Now, sure, he has to know how to sell, but you also have to know how to lead. I think that some leaders, they train the right people. They recruit well, but they do the wrong leadership. For example, the leadership in the small business with young people is getting too close to them. Too early, you talk their language, you play with their snakes. and all. Wait, that straight away is wrong leadership. 
right? Because what happened is you, you put your leadership down to such a level, they think that you're made, and this generation think that you're made very fast. You setting yourself for failure. And it doesn't matter. It's like cancer. It will just eat through the entire organization. Yeah, okay. You know? I mean, these days, you have these kids, man, they just call you in the morning. They say, oh, I'm feeling like my throat is a little bit pink. Can I have a day off? Fuck the day off. Take the whole month off. Don't come back. You know? And I think you have to really look at it this way. You don't want to surround yourself with these people. And this is why we said this many times. The old blacks got it right. Better people makes better old black. And so you have to start with that quality of people. And man, someone who at six o'clock, and he was a young dude. Quarter past six. Yeah. And he's still going. He's not like everybody else stepping up at around five to five. When do we close here? Man, I thank God for mm. having him. Yeah. Right? The rest is going to be us. Mm. But uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it, it, there's so many other ingredients that we need to have. But mm. that is a great ingredient. Do you have a guy that works without a clock? You already have half a winner. Mm. To me, in my books. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was a good, good guy. The other question I had, and sort of come back to your statement about $5,000 a, a month. How do we change you? We spoke in the kickstart about a leader with a salesperson mindset. Yeah. How do we help that, or how does that leader transition from that salesperson mindset? <laughs> Something has to be painful enough for them to yeah. make it. Is it finally seeing at their golden years approaching, saying, "Listen, I need to make, create a business and not have a job"? What, what, what is I, it? I think that you you already gave a huge answer. I think when the pain is too much to bear, you change. So, for example, you let's say that you're approaching your 65 and, and you see, listen, I am still working like... Next year for you, Chris. Thanks, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I'm cheers. just working like five guys <laughs> here and I have no time for myself. And unless I work, the business has to close shop. And I don't want this anymore. I've had enough. I think that then people change. Or sometimes life forcing you to... You work, you work, you work, and you forget family even though you have family, and then suddenly your spouse turns around and says, listen, I'm leaving you. Or your child says, you know what, Dad, I will never work as hard as you, and I hate the field you're in because I have never seen you around me. Right? Yeah, you might have come to my sport, but you never sat down with me and wonder how my life is going. Wow, wow. Yeah. So I, I think that that is painful enough for you to really decide that I'm going to change. The other thing I think too is association. You, you hang around people and then you see what they do with their children and you see how they can still work hard. Yeah, okay. And, and, and they still make a good living. And then they have children who are around them who on, on days off want to be around them. Then you decide. So that's association. Now, if you go around association where you're drinking on the weekends, you're drinking when you have time, free time, and, and, and you have no problem with working hard, and, and then when you go home, you go home drunk, then, well, you're happy with that, you become that. Then, then you're, you're, you put up with this. Yeah. So I think it's pain. I think it's life pushing you. So they need to be ready for that transition. They need to make that. Yeah, they have to be willing. You know, I... It's I, I think they like vision. Too, they like yeah, vision. Yeah, it's the vision. I was going to say, there's a, there's a lack of knowledge about it. There's a lack of, in my instance, I don't think the, the fear to recruit for $5,000 a month, I don't think that's 
salesperson mentality. I had to shift from, I had this conversation with someone on the phone just before I walked into the office. He said, how did you find the transition from going from a salesperson to a business owner? I said, well, I didn't. Because <laughs> I didn't transition for at least a year. And I, I, Darren Kernow, if he's listening, fuck, I made that bloke's life hard because I hired him to make some money out of carry-on but wouldn't let him talk to anyone that I'd spoken to, which had been the whole friggin' suburb for the previous four years. And that salesperson mentality as a leader and, and the not recruiting thing is sometimes it's forgetting what you're actually in business for. What are we here to do? Yeah, right. Are we here for a job or are we here to put your feet up? And like in my case, sometimes it's just a lack of business acumen and a lack of knowledge and and, and in my case, Thomas telling me to was blue in the face to recruit didn't make sense until I saw the spreadsheet. So words and lack of vision, as Thomas just said, I, I, I couldn't quite get it. The dumb part is, especially in TL's case, I've done everything else he's ever told me to do and it's worked out all right. So yep. why I stopped then, maybe that's the first time he challenged my bank account. Maybe that's the first time he challenged me Your with bank account or Crystal's bank account? <laughs> Our <laughs> bank account, right? <laughs> maybe that's the first time he told me to do something where I'm sitting here with the banking app open Hidden going, players. I don't have that money, <laughs> right? There's because... You know, he told me to go into a listing appointment and say this, and I went into a listing appointment and, he, and said it, and I sold a house. And he yeah. told me to talk to this many people a day, so I spoke to that many people a day, and it worked fucking wonders. But when he said to me, do this, and I'm looking, and I've got the banking app open in front of me, and there's a lot of zeros and not the good kind, I didn't trust it enough. I had to see it. Show me that fucking spreadsheet where this yeah. makes sense. Give me the scientific proof. It's climate change, bro. But climate you know, change exists, but show me on a spreadsheet, right? But you know, Cam, we, we learn different. Different people learn differently, right? I, I learn by doing well, Let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah, go for it, man. Put yourself as a business owner. Yeah. You got next to no money in the bank. and someone's oh, bloody scary. No, and someone says to you, to change the fact that you have no money in the bank, you, you need spend to more. spend an extra $20,000 a month. What do you do, Chris? First and foremost, I'm going to say, have I, where can I get the money? Where can I get the money or how can I make that money? There you go. And Cam's fucking drunk. <laughs> <laughs> What's he thinking? <laughs> and that, that, that's the fear that's real and whether it's justified yep. or not, that's where a lot of people's mindsets are stuck. And yep. I had to change mine and did change mine once I saw it. So a lot of people are in that instance mate a lot of our business owners have been working that long the first thing out of their mouth we, we spent two days learning how we need a team of a minimum of four salespeople. minimum right that's 20 grand a month and i guarantee you there were still people in that room going fuck another 20 grand a month fuck yeah because they don't understand that 20 grand a month turning into 100 grand a month I'm with that, you. It's fear-based thinking. I don't think that's salesperson's thinking. That's that's fear-based thinking. Lack, that's like lack. you said before, lack. Yeah. That's lack. And the, the mate, the simple fact is, and I think I've used this quote on this podcast before. If I'm relying on five thousand dollars to save me from oblivion, I'm in a world of shit anyway. Yeah, so yeah. you may as well fucking spend it. Like, there's no good saving. No, it. but they they they're making uh, wrong assumptions, right? They're making yeah. the assumptions that I'm going to have the four. And I'm gonna run them the same way I used to run everybody else. Yeah. That's why they, they lose. So, but to go back to what you were saying in terms of numbers, when you had that click, when you saw those numbers, you had that click. It's only a business mind of a leader. Mm. You still have to have the uh, leadership. I backed myself yes. to grow into that yeah. space. I'll say openly, and, and yeah, I know my staff will probably hear this, but I think I made a mistake before Christmas putting so many people on at once. No, I don't I think don't it was a mistake. I, th I think that you played from with a too many snakes. From a leadership standpoint. No, no, but what yeah. I mean is I don't think my leadership was up to six different personalities coming into yeah. the office at once. Okay. 
Not, okay. Yeah, that's what I Good mean. Point. Yeah? Good point. Because that is a whole different ball game. When you're used to working around four people and you've got to know those four people because they've been around you for 12 months and you're feeling pretty comfortable to bring six new personalities into that office, which is what we did. But you did the right thing. You did the right thing. From the leadership, Current there was some mistake, but you've learned. Have a look, the way you talk right now, it shows me already that you've learned from that and you know that if you had to redo that, you had to go back. You wouldn't, wouldn't say no to the six. No, you wouldn't know to the six, but you probably would behave differently. Yeah, behave differently. Uh, I think, and I mean, you might correct me on this. I think you just did, but moving forward, my thoughts are just bring two on at a time and get them into the culture <laughs> and get them into the standard. Then and, what's that process add, though? What's that time frame? Is that a six week time frame where you can bring another two? Is it eight? Is it twelve oh, weeks? Probably a month. So may I ask you this? And that's probably Sir wrong, Alex Ferguson. Yes. Back in the days, he was training. Should he be only be training for two new guys on the bench at a time? Or does he have the ability to have, at Manchester United, a hundred new recruits at a time? I'm not Alex Ferguson yet. So, so, so what are you saying? So I what are you saying? Well, I, I don't think when Alex Ferguson was first starting out in coaching, he was putting on... Maybe I should try it and, and interview him, but I would say this. How do you improve the best? By going two at a time? Back in the days when you first started recruiting for a soccer player? Or by going all out and say, just put 100 in front of me, I'll, I'll pick. Do you think that's fair to the next six people that I whack on at once if I don't think I'm, I'm there yet to handle it all at once? Do you think it's fair to them? But I don't think that you should really run the business thinking, uh, am I ready, am I not ready? I think that you start, you no, did that, you did that yeah. with the best intention at heart. Yes. So where's the problem? You, you, you well, want to our, make every post a winner. That's the yeah, But the our problem. previous conversations about who you employed, looking back now, you now wouldn't employ some of those people straight away. Well, we had this conversation. I went from fresh as a daisy in October to absolutely dead by December yeah, yeah. because of the energy that it took. Vortex, and again, yeah, now, yeah. now that's going to be lessened because the first time you do anything, it takes a lot more energy. The first, absolutely. The first time you swim 50 metres, Isaac, it fucking hurts. The next time you swim it, it gets a little bit easier and easier yep. energy-wise. So I'm sure it won't suck as much out of me as it did and that'll improve. But what you don't want to do is just say out of that six, there's one, maybe two that could be champions or half-million-dollar performers. Yep. I don't want to go through burning too many of them before I work out how to handle six people at once. That's why, again, right mindset, wrong mindset, bring them on gradually, not too gradually, but gradually enough where they can be instilled into the culture, indoctrinated, whatever you want to call it, and then the next two can come and you, you can put all that effort into them as well. They were the thought. Yeah. So I understand the conversation we're having and, yeah, and yeah. We're making a lot of, you're making a lot of valid points. I'm not saying I'm right. No, no some of my points are shit. So, but the, the thing is that we're here to stir ideas, boys. We're not here to just start try and be right. So, so some ideas right, some ideas not. Some ideas may be right for the right person because it's the right time for them. Some ideas maybe not. You, know? you can I, I, handle a room of 24 people. I cannot handle a room of 24 people yet. Yeah. You, you do your recruit training on a monthly, and each, I'm sure the first time you ever did it and tried to train a group of 40 people or whatever you did, it uh, was it, tough. It went, it went perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're full of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like, it's just for me, maybe it's just recognising where I'm at. I mean, every time I bring someone else on, it's out of my comfort zone, so it's not about not going outside my comfort zone. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that it's not the $5,000 that a recruit cost. No. It's a 5000 that that you will blow because you're not going to do if the I right thing by the... Yeah. yeah, I get it. 
That doesn't stop me recruiting. The money, my mindset's changed on money completely in that essence. Yeah, because now you have money. In that sense. No, well, no, in that sense where I know that if I want to achieve any of my goals, I need a team under me. I can't have a team if I don't recruit. When all of when all of us go just to Cypress Lakes, he has to go to a health spa oh, resort with his wife. Yeah. Do you know that that costs twice as much? Yeah, the she wife said, booked it. She said, "Yeah, sure." She said, "I just look for the cheapest room in the whole joint, and that's <laughs> that was still twice the price of that's where, where we, we got." Yeah. Yeah. Recruiting, you're going to get better naturally. It's with time, with repetition, like even weights or whatever it is. How many guys go? I did what Thomas said, and I put on my team of five and look we're three months down the track and three of them have left and I still haven't made any money I'm never putting okay but is it the recruiting or is it their leadership and something that I've really enjoyed in kickstart this year was a few of the role plays we did with different leaders about recruit above target good attitude below target bad attitude and so forth I probably learnt more out of those role plays a kickstart than I have in a lot of things the people that I was paired with had the good leadership had the teams behind them so I could learn something. Mm, mm, mm. And the way they were dealing was fantastic. And just little word changes and little ways, instead of giving a suggestion, you ask for a suggestion and just excellent. The growth of leadership within Kickstart, I think, was also very And, and that's a bit that I really like, you know, it's that it's all about us. I don't care what leaders say about their team, their recruits. The more I've grown in this field, the less I'm blaming I've got recruits here who, who in three days can now outlist existing salespeople. As of today, they can outlist many salespeople from wow. everywhere in Australia. Today, they haven't passed the exam yet. And here's my biggest sadness. Are they going to go on from here or are they going to be destroyed by bad leadership? Because I truly believe that, you know, if after three days you know how to ride a bicycle, you can't actually fall off the bicycle after three months, Right. After three months of writing, you have to be able to write better than when you did it in three, in three days. Of course. So why would a leader turn around and say, oh, well, you know, she didn't make it. She didn't make it or I didn't make it. Really, that's what it is. Mm. And, and so for me, when we did Kickstart, the onus is on leadership. The blame lies no, nowhere else. You're going to have to just take leadership by the horn and really improve yourself. There was a line that you used during Kickstart, and it was, a leader should be, look at you, look at you, look at you, not look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. And I wrote that down straight away. I thought, it's all about the person that you're leading. Yeah. Not about you. I thought that was a fantastic line. You've got a few lines from Kickstart. I want to quiz you on one, because I put a question mark. You know when I put a question mark next to a line, it means I want to argue with you. <laughs> There's lots of good ones, but the one you said, no goals equals quit when it gets too hard. Someone without goals will quit when it gets too hard. Uh, passionate goals. Meaningful goals, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't have goals. I've, I've never worked off goals. Never quit when yeah, it's too hard. Yeah, but that's normal. Your wife's got them. Your wife's got a swimming pool. <laughs> 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 and you only have one goal, keeping your wife happy. That's no. a huge goal. No, it's a, I mean, for me, it's a valid question because I've, I've never been one to work off goals and I probably need to or should, but you know me, I've never quit. I've never quit at anything in my life. So you don't have a goal of becoming a better person this year? Yeah. So to become a better person will mean you become a better leader? So I don't have a... Financial goal, goal, a material goal. I don't have a... Because you, if you want material, you go out and buy. There's nothing that's going to stop me knocking on doors or, or trying to produce as a salesperson. 
but I don't have a vision board full of things that I want to achieve. Yeah. So obviously having a goal would help stop you quitting when it gets too hard. In my opinion, I don't think the fact that you don't have a goal means as soon as times get tough, you're going to stop. Some people will. Some people so, will. So, Some will. So I don't you, think it's a. I don't think it's a hard and fast rule yeah. for everybody. So you're saying you don't have a vision board. Your vision board is in your mind. You know what you want to achieve this year. You want to grow your team. You want to become a better no, leader. He wants a swimming pool. He wants to keep his wife happy, and he just wants to make sure that his children are going to really feel his presence as a much yeah, better. I have father. lots of things. So, so don't tell me you don't have goals. All of no. those are attached to what you're doing, and you want to give yourself a nice life. That doesn't mean that you have to do 70,000 sales or 683 sales for the year. No. I've already done that. But, but, you, <laughs> but you know roughly already, there is a level that I want in my bank account so that I can do these things. Yeah? And I think that in, that in itself, that is a goal. So if that's the uh, description of goal, isn't it impossible for anyone to not have a goal? Because everyone has somewhere that they want to be. Some people have got the only goals of surviving. Isn't that a goal? Should they didn't have that goal of surviving. If they quit when it gets too hard, they no, don't man. survive. No, no, what I mean by that, you know, there are people, and I'm not here to knock them down, but there are people who just want to live to pay bills. They're surviving. They have their two-weeks holiday in a caravan park somewhere. They have their Christmas with the family and New Year, like maybe in a little camping tent. They're happy. It's okay, they still their goals, but it's not meaningful enough to go through the shit that a business will give you. I think that to go through the shit that a business can give you with losing stuff, with having to restart, with losing money, with trying to uh, stay afloat, I mean, those are big stuff, man. They sometimes keep you awake. I mean, I still remember times when I didn't know how I was going to pay my staff the following month. You, you don't sleep. You race against a clock to sell a house. What stays is the fact that I wanted to have a franchise where people, whether they are receptionists, salespeople, or leader, or the spouse of the leader or the manager, are growing not only financially but also spiritually mm. or mentally. And that, that was my goal. Then I can create a very different kind of network. We want to become better people. We want to really grow. Yeah, okay, this one in wisdom here, we have a lot of fun. We do a lot of shit. We actually grow <laughs> because we, we're sharing great ideas that we brainstorm together. But deep down, when we go out to work, our heart is very different. The goal that we have is very different. Mm. Now, not talking shit here, but your goal, even in running your business, is about making sure that your own people in your team are having a better life by being around you. Mm. That in itself is a goal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you off the hook then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You've got. So hang on, you boys have just agreed, right? No. Man, we all <laughs> no. Agree, we all, no, we all agree all the time. The only thing is that we shit stir ourselves. That's all, man. You know, in. in, in I don't uh, shit stir him. I, I, I tell him when he's wrong. <laughs> he tries to shit stir me, but it doesn't work. So you tell him all the time. <laughs> One of those beads of sweat running off your forehead. <laughs> the most beautiful line of the whole kickstart for me was only a full glass can fill an empty glass it's got double asterisks and oh, quotation okay. marks and brackets i didn't catch that, that was one of the best things you've ever said ever mm. see one in wisdom the shit that we learn only a full glass can fill an empty glass so what does that mean chris well you've got to work on yourself to help others first and foremost it's, you've you've got to be better for other people 
I've just created recently nine of my favourite sayings that sit behind my desk, and one of them is "Be the change you want to see in others." I like that. So my glass has got to be full before I can expect you to. So if I want to, I want you to show up and work on time. I've got to get there on time. Yeah. If I want you to write goals and have meaningful goals and share them, I will be expecting myself for the same thing. So our glass has to be full. But I think more importantly, look at it another way that there's a coach called Coach John Wooden, very, very famous basketball coach, took a number of teams from mm, nothing mm, to victories. Mm, mm. And his line is, it's when you realise that you know it all, that you're ready to get better. So having a full glass that says, is my glass full enough to teach others? Yes, it is. But that means that I'm accepting more of improvement of my own self. Yeah, yeah I, I think that when I was saying that, it was more or less in the context of self. Unless you grow to your optimum potential, you can't really help someone. Yeah. So and, same, and, and a lot of leaders or a lot of people go out there, they don't take the time to grow themselves. Mm. And I'm not talking about religion here. I'm talking about just their own self, knowing about their strengths, weaknesses, what makes them tick, why they're here, how they're going to make this place a better place. Unless it is... Maybe not necessarily full as a word full, but as feel that it can be. How do you ever share that with somebody else? Yeah, it's a perfect metaphor. I absolutely loved it. It's a good saying. Things don't work around winners. Winners work around things. Yeah, I remember that line too. Love it. Yeah. I also Love missed it. that one. I missed that one. I missed that one too. Yeah. <laughs> Were you there? I was. I've got a few here that you probably missed, Whoa, but they're very simple. Oh, okay, but anyway. all right, all Solution right. mindset, mate. Solution mindset. Winners work around things. There's no excuse. There's no blame. There's no anything. There's just let's fucking do it. Mm. And that, yeah, that's got to start at the top. That's got to start with leadership. That starts with not blaming your staff. That starts with not blaming external factors for, oh, the wind blew west today, so I couldn't do this, and tomorrow it blows east, so it's the wind's fault again. So rep- yeah. Repeat it again. Things don't work around winners. Winners work around things. What about uh, you have to master the little things and the big things will follow? Oh, I don't rate it. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking full of shit. You're full of shit. You don't remember it, you uh, don't rate it. It's not there. He's going to write it down. If it's not in the book, if it's not in the book, I don't rate it. <laughs> no, and the other one I loved was. Well, from a leadership standpoint and a management standpoint, two actually. Stop trying to motivate people and spend more time finding motivated people. And then how do I get everyone to be a $500,000 performer, question mark. And then how the hell do I hang on to $500,000 performers? They're, from a personal level and, and where I'm at in my business, they're two of the biggest questions that I've got to answer. That was some of my biggest takeaways. Another getting one getting them there is a struggle and then keeping them there, as you can probably attest to, after recent events, yeah, is just as big a struggle. Yeah, yeah well, well, I think a lot of self analysis within the office. We've looked back and things we need to change personally, and like both at leadership and management levels, we need to change. One of the other sayings that I really took away from the weekend, which I thought was fantastic, was it's about future plans, not the now plans. So I think a lot of people have don't have that long vision, long game sort of plan for their office. And a lot of them don't share their vision for the office with the team as well. You said it before, you break it really simply to income, but what are people working towards? And Are we on a a unified journey within an office? So we might have a mission statement up there, but is it a mission statement that all the office is bought into? And is the vision or the destination a unified destination? Does everybody know where we're going? It's transparency in your business. 
Yeah, we did touch on that either last week or the week before where a lot of business owners won't share their figures or their numbers with their staff for fear of oh, if I see how much money I've got, they'll ask for more. Yeah, but remember, we also said, you know, you d- no point doing it the wrong person. No, you got to do it to the right, right, right people, right. 100%. So this, this is also one of the things that we have to be very careful. The old black said what? No better, dickheads. Better what? People make better old blacks. Okay, so let's not remember the better people because there's no point... Asking a leader to become someone gullible, someone who believes that everyone's good. No, no, it's yeah. not true. Not everyone's good, right? I think I have grown into that now. I used to be the firm believer that no, not that everyone's good and you have to dig it out of them. And I'm starting now to realize with life passing by, not everyone's good. Your job is to find the, the right people. And it's the same thing when you're, when you're recruiting people. You're going to have to see whether they're good. One, one of the things that when I recruit, I always make sure I pay attention to is in the end, they shall treat you the way they treat their worst enemy, mm. right? And I forgot the person who said that line, but I, it's not my line. I took it from that person. I'll find it out one, one of these days. And so when I recruit anyone, I'll always ask them, uh, when you left that last business, how did you leave? What happened? And I always try to come across as a gossiper. But all I want to know is, what is he going to say? Is he going to say, hey, listen, you know, I'd rather not talk about this. It, it didn't really end well, but uh, I wish them all their best. Or is he just going to go flat out attacking it? Because it tells me how he's going to deal with me. Mm. And I always say this, you know, e- even if I had to go into a business venture with anyone, I look at how they deal with others. I spend a lot of time just chatting about what, what is it they've done in the other businesses because they will tell you how they're going to deal with you. Yeah. So as simple as that. So I spend a lot more time in finding out the better people in the old blacks. Yeah, well, That's back to the recruiting skills that, yeah. that we talked about before. You lost, well, I don't know about you, Chris, but I got lost a little bit at Kickstart when I think it was day one that you talked a lot about if you're making people have to do 50 calls a day, then right. no one should fucking work for you and this and that. And I'm sitting there going, fuck, but that's the system. That's what we do. That's what we've been taught. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Thomas is on drugs. Where are we going? <laughs> How can he be all I'd spend all day doing is making sure people do 50 calls a day? And everyone's like, oh, well, I'm lost. And then the next day, I don't know if everyone picked up on it, but you clarified it for me when you dropped the line, stop trying to motivate people and spend more time finding motivated people. The point being that, yes, you have to do 50 calls a day. Yes, you need to prospect, but the people should be doing it of their own accord and wanting to do it rather than you having to have a foot up their ass Yeah, the, one, the ones that you have to really start pushing, you need to start pushing out of the office. Because that was a question for me like from day one overnight. Chris and I even spoke about it at dinner. I'm like, I don't know where we're going with this. And then you drop that line day two and I'm like, oh, fucking, that's what he's talking about. It's not that... You don't have to do 50 calls a day. Of course you do. If you want to be successful, the bare minimum still needs to be that, but it needs to be of your own accord. And again, back to that recruiting method. But that's the recruiting, see? That's the skills in the recruiting. The young fella sitting at that desk at quarter past six of a night time, not asking to move. It's all me at the back negotiating a sale. Rob's in his office doing whatever you he's doing. You still there at six o'clock. Bloody were. And I went and got it accepted that night too. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> And he did not lift his bum off that seat, kept smashing yeah. those things. And that's motivated people. Where do you go to get better at interviewing people? Where's the no, I just do them. I mean, I, I have spent oh, experience. Many, There's many, no substitute for experience. many leaders' meetings. I've spent many of them just going through role plays and all this stuff. The key is to really learn and grow. Like, how many people really read books and find information? Like, I read lately something about recruiting, and I thought, yeah, okay, it makes sense. But listen to the language they use. 
Yeah. If you listen to the language they recruits, for example, use, you'll know whether they, uh, for example, go-getters or they are people who are just farmers sitting down to get things. Mm. For example, one thing that I, <laughs> I read in that book, and it was very, very good, and I thought, yeah, that's so real. When you listen to a go-getters, it's about what I will do, and I do this. And, well, it makes sense. They use present tense. They make themselves as the driver of things. When you talk to a guy who is waiting for things to happen and waiting for things to fall on his uh, lap, he talks about should. I would really do prospecting if it needs to be done. So they, they have a different language. So you can read about these things, but you then still have to put that in the interview. So when you sit down, you pay attention to the languaging that they have. You know, uh, One of the biggest things I always say to people in recruiting is look at their values. Look at both values. What, what's the uh, towards value? What's the away value? Because they'll tell you exactly how they're going to behave in your business. Yeah. And it, it's a funny thing. And I don't think that people really read enough or read deep enough. Like if I said to you about values, both of you are going to say, yeah, we know about values. And yet if I said to you, all right, so, so how do you find the real values from people rather than their wished values? Now, now we're talking different language. Now, how do you then find out the ranking of those values? And do you know how to move a value three to number one and number one to number six? I mean, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of work actually in the software of the human being, you know? And that takes a bit of work. So it takes study. And that's why I, I reckon until your last breath, you should be working on yourself, on studying, not just on reading. Reading? Have you kept up your reading? I haven't as read as much as I want to, but I do listen to a lot of uh, audio books. I'm listening to Legacy at the moment. Personally, I don't go for audio because when do you do audio? In the car. In the car. So when do you sit down and write mark it, write yeah. a note, make a make yeah. a note on the side? Like yesterday, I was reading some stuff and I and I had to write no next to what he said because I didn't believe in it. I mean. The other day I was reading uh, one of the top 50 books from Bill Gates and man, I, I'm inspired by Bill Gates for what he has achieved. But then when I read that book, I thought that, <laughs> that's, one of his that's it. I'm, I'm not, not going to go any further because there's only one message in that book. He keeps on repeating it yeah. and it is not doing anything new. You know? So for me, you have to be able to sit down, mark a book, highlight parts that are very important. Study the book. Yeah. You have to be able to get your journals out and then go, all right, now today I've learned this, revisit it. You can't do that when you drive, boys. I listened to a book once in the car. It was Second Chance by Robert Kiyosaki, and all I remember from the book was buy silver. So I went and spent $10,000 on silver. And? and uh, I think don't, I've don't lost, insult my mentor, one of my first I think mentors. I've lost about 30% <laughs> so far. <laughs> but it's all right because every time the stock market crashes, silver goes up. The question was, was that before Kodak? It's buried all over the backyard. No, it wasn't, no. Because Kodak was was topping up the silver prices for a long time because they're the biggest purchases Mate, of I, silver I'll in the world. I'll give you the tip about silver. Every solar panel on the planet relies on silver to run. So oh, there you go. Okay. You want to, in a climate change era where we're Let switching to green energy. $7,000 worth of silver to sell. $10,000. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it used to be. I bought some at $18 and it went to $27 and went, this shit's going to keep going. So I loaded up at $27 and now it's back to 18 So, <laughs> What about this uh, business of um, coronavirus, guys? What's happening? This is something that's happening right now, so we might as well just 
Talk a little bit about it. 462,000 people die every year from falling over. So far, coronavirus has killed how many? There's more people that die daily from the flu. Isn't it fi- over 500? Yeah, 560. 560? Yeah. Oh, my God. 516 today. How many people died in the last flu season? So so what are you saying? I'm saying it's a... Scaremongering got to sell products. We've got to be careful about who we listen to and take a deep breath for a second. It's the same thing. We won't go on another rant, but... Something had to come up after the fires. I thought there'd be more shit about Australia Day this year, but it was pretty quiet this year about Australia Day. So now it's coronavirus. It's given people a reason to be outraged and given people a reason to panic. If you believe in the matrix, it's giving the government the ability to control more people. My 12-year-old son texted me and said, 50 people have now died worldwide from coronavirus. And the poor bloke, all he probably wanted was a conversation and all he got back from me was... 462,000 people die every year from falling over. <laughs> yeah, well, why, you know, is a, why is a 12-year-old kid in Norahead panicking about coronavirus? That's that's and, the effect of the media and the hysteria. And that's and that and that's it. It's a media-driven, I think, scaremongering tactic. And some of these companies sell more disinfectants because now people are looking on disinfectants that were made two years ago and it's gone kills coronavirus. Yeah, but it, but is, and, is it maybe the cynical side of us? Are we being sceptical about coronavirus? Yeah. Probably, but yeah. we should be sceptical. SARS was going to kill everybody, remember? 800 people. There you go. And it dissipated itself. There was no cure for it. There was no anything. It just went away. And it's proven that daily, worldwide, more people die from the flu. And as you said, more people die from falling over. Falling over, bro. Falling over their own feet. My poor kitty got about eight screenshots from me. I was just thinking of the most dumbest shit that people die from. Look, it might be... For real, it might be deadly serious, and yeah, I'm very sorry that f- however many people have lost their life, it's not that we're joking about the disease, but the closing of schools and the, the stopping kids going to class and the, you know, we met someone yesterday who said, sorry, my hands are a bit dry. I've, we've got to wash them so many times a day to avoid the coronavirus. That's in carry-on. I went to visit my dad today. How dare they name a disease after one of my favourite beers? That's <laughs> I went to visit my dad today in the nursing home and one of the staff there is, is Chinese and she's just come back from China. And she has been asked to stay home for two weeks. And they've got someone filling in her spot because of the coronavirus. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, I think it's a bit of scaremongering. Yes, well, are we cynical? I th- yeah, I think we are. Listen, my son was trying to convince me he went to China over the holiday <laughs> break because he was going to get two weeks off school. So it's not going to happen, son. So problem yeah. is, mate, it, we, we may well get the boy who cries wolf treatment and get struck down one day by, right. by riding off a disease. But unfortunately, there's more history for our side of the argument than there is for the fact that we're all about uh, to get wiped out by a disease named after a beer. I'm sorry. I'm feeling more sorry for the people who are directly affected by something that I don't think is as serious as everyone's making out to be. And I'm guessing, as I said, I'm cynical. There's a whole shipload of full of people that are confined to their cabins. They can't leave their cabins. Mate, there's a shitload of people who still don't have a house to live in because they just burnt down. There's a shitload there of farmers go. who still can't feed their cattle there because of the drought. It's the next fad, right? How many people died in car accidents yesterday? Fucking more than a coronavirus. What about a poor family who lost three of their family members oh, in one mate. hit? And anything that takes away from the real problems in life, and I'm talking in Australia, I'm talking about the drought, I'm talking about rebuilding after the fires, yeah. I'm talking about homelessness, I'm talking about all that sort of shit. Anything that takes away from that, and at the moment it's a disease that's killed fifty people. I mean, what are we fucking doing here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's taking up probably you know fifty percent of the airtime in the media and so forth. So, 
be crazy. Well, I, I have to say that I did a little bit of research and I have found the um, the link to coronavirus and let's go home and have some coronavirus later uh, i saw a meme the other day that corona beer is going to change their name to embola to separate themselves from the coronavirus it was a ebola virus <laughs> oh sorry ebola beer there was a simpsons episode i'm going to either get it wrong it was either 11 years ago or 15 years ago yeah. where everyone in springfield got coronavirus and there's so many things the I Simpsons do. On, I saw it. They said, oh, the bloody the Simpsons again are predicting exactly what's going on in the world. They like did that. Trump. They, they've done that quite a few. Yeah. It's quite funny. So the next wine, we've got a red. It's a Cab Sav. Reshk, I would pronounce that. Reshki. Okay. The <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's from Kunawara. Um, it's called Boss. Now, Boss is the Latin word for bull, which is their symbol. It's a hundred-year-old winery in the Kunawara region, which someday I want to go to. This is a 2009. Uh, I bought this in because um, Big Red Dog over here was always bitching about my wine, saying I bring shit. At least the cork didn't splinter into four million pieces. Shut up. Let's see how we go. It's a big winery. Hey, listen. Listen, you're bitching and moaning about me inviting you to my house to enjoy my wine and worrying about the wines that I I was opening. I didn't bitch and and moan once about the invite. And you never got invited to his house. Not even the Christmas party. I never never complained once about the invite, mate. Only the wine you dished up. That was all. Smells great. All right, boys. When are you getting a new desk? Cheers. Well, I'm not going to have a new desk the way we're we're treating this one. We're not having (laughs) a new desk. Wow. That's rich for a Cap Sav, man. Oh, wow. Beautiful. 2009, man. Beautiful. That's, that's nice, mate. That's good. That's I like nice. that. I must admit, that's nice. Let's have a few more glasses, but I must say that Chardonnay that you bought, that's good Chardonnay. Find out where we get some more of that. What do you think, mate? You're the, that's you quite ready? nice. Is it going to be a typical? We've got to see if it gets past the third sip because Denola's <laughs> wines have a history of starting off strong. And, uh, no, Chris is still his state is still a uh, hangover from the last phone call he just got. <laughs> 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 I, I, I can tell his state is still oh, there. Oh, shut up! You're going to get me in shit. So. <laughs> Reader, if you listen to this, I just said hello to you four times. You blatantly ignored me every time. That is actually a, a, actually a very good point. Mm. Does she listen? Are you listen? Because I know when I'm in the car, she's like, put a podcast on. And it's, I think that's just to keep me happy. It's very easy so. to tune out when Chris speaks, I understand. <laughs> listen here, Mumbles. Do you know, how do you know whether someone is a good listener or not? And we're listening. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening to you guys. It's how far they interrupt you. I interrupt him all the time. You are never cut off. So <laughs> I know how fast people cut off. Others in general, not not. It's not because they cut you off once. Have a look at their pattern. Okay, they will tell you whether they're thinking, because if they cut you very fast, they have to have come up with a comeback before they heard one hundred percent of your line. Correct. Mm. Yeah, and that that means, man, they were not listening to you. They were more focused on winning a point. Mm. Interesting. See, those are the things that you really learn and study by studying self because you go, right, is this something I do? Is this something that I could improve? And then you improve yourself and then suddenly you start being aware of others. I sit in conversation and I love just seeing how fast another person is cutting someone off. For example, even when we were at Kickstart, I was very interested in seeing who cuts off, who starts first, who holds 
the bulk of the conversation. You know, I mean, it's fantastic that it was also tennis time. It was uh, Australian Open. Mm. And when you have a look at Australian Open, you see every stat, uh, where they serve, where they serve their second serve, how much of the second serve they win. Well, it's the same thing in communication. People will use usually the same words and same patterns. I was reading many years ago, the words reveal the person. If you can really see the amount of words or the repetitive words that a person use, you'll know the person. It's very hard to have a conversation with you knowing that you know all this shit. No, but I, that's, that's, <laughs> only, that's only under undue influence. <laughs> so many words. words. Undue influence. <laughs> Two bottles of white and a bit of bottle of red. Speaking of the tennis, more to my outrage at society at the moment. Here we go. Mate, two months ago, Nick Kyrgios was the worst bloke in the world he was. Worst sportsman, worst this, worst that, bad for the country. How dare you call yourself an Australian and now he's a national hero. Yeah, because, now all, because all the chairs are now being screwed to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing that can go wrong now, man. Man, I watch a lot of footy and the refs cop an absolute pizzling, but fuck, some umpires copped it during the Australian Open, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Didn't yeah, they yeah, cop it? Yeah, Didn't they cop, cop it? the serving. Your question about, you know, it was the worst thing on two legs and now he's a national hero. I think Australians have a short memory. <laughs> In general. Fucking not my wife. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> In general, I think Australian males. Yeah, well, absolutely. Remember January 2nd, 2008, when you said... <laughs> Jesus. You're going to make a goal and it was a resolution? <laughs> yeah, I've got a good memory. My memory only kicks in when I want to burn someone. That's all. I think that we have short memories. And we've said this the other week, other podcast, jump the bad wagon, and then it's all forgotten. Take Is he a memories. good role model? Uh, I don't think so. You don't want no, your kids your kids playing no, tennis, no, Thomas? No. You don't want them being Nick Curious, no, do you? No, no. I, listen, I, I I don't mind what the, some of the good things he's done lately, but th- this is the problem, you know. Still he, carries he, he's on, a great he? he's a great player. He's a great player. You have to give it to him. But I think I would not have him in my team. Now, th- this is the problem. <laughs> if in Australia we only have three good players and we need five, you have to have him in the team. So this is the problem that sometimes coaches or leaders have to compromise on some of the values in order to make up the numbers. But that means to me then the philosophy that we have is that winning comes before the rest. Yeah. comes across in business too. I think that as a player, as someone who represents something to a lot of children, we have a responsibility. Do you think in general sports people are held to too high an esteem? They throw around the role model clause a lot. Mm. Well, Shit, you can man. learn you, you a lot. Talk, of yeah, you're talking yeah. about a lot of uh, good stuff here, man. That that we take the, uh, an entire podcast to do yeah. it, yeah. and I think to agree, yeah. I, but the other thing too is that a sports person is not a philosopher. No. Okay. A sports person is driven to win. So Nick Kyrgios is driven to win. Definitely not so, a philosopher. So I have, but I have no problem if his anger is about the drive to win. Mm. But when his anger is about, he tells. His team, so the people who come and cheer for him and sit on the side, and he tells them off because mm. they didn't cheer him up for that point, mm. or he then the next point he tells them off because they talk too much mm. and they should be silent about the next point. Mm. Fuck you, man! Mm. You've got people there sitting there, they wondering what should we do next. Mm. And I think if you have friendships, and the friendship is only there for you to just abuse them. I'm sorry, man. I want no part in that. I don't see a sportsman, even, you know, my hero, Ayrton Senna. Mm. 
even Ayrton Senna driving Formula One did not show the best values. But so I'm not talking about the best value there, but you need to have some kind of consistency. So as a parent, a lot of parents say, look at your favourite footy player, you know, look at Nick Kyrgios and strive to be that. It's probably not the best parenting tool in the world. No. No. I said to my children, you know, if you girls ever behave like that one day, I'll come on court myself and I'll get you out. That actually happened to me. Yeah, but yours is a bit of a sad story, but because you, it should be off, like for the for that game, and then maybe the next <laughs> warning is for the next season, and then afterwards. But when it's forever, because you you got caught once, I think it was a bit tough. Let, let's put it this way: Listen, I, I wrote a something about my daughters playing tennis. I think a year ago, and it was in a, a subject I put on Instagram or something like this about how because I came from nothing. Now, spending any kind of money to me on the kids' sports, it's not just something I do, it's a luxury, right? And so when the girls came home from a competition and, and won the competition but didn't do their best, I wrote that I was not very happy. That I said to them, that is shit. The other girls were playing their best, you didn't. So as far as I'm concerned, the other girls deserve my inspiration, not you. I said to the girls, get on the uh, court. I want more training because that's wrong what you've done. I mean, obviously... Or I remember they, that post. There's yeah. a bit of blowback. Yeah. Well, uh, this last week, the girls now got into their new school where that sport is huge. They have, uh, I think, 21 tennis courts. Yeah. So... They've got air conditioners? Yeah, all over, mate. <laughs> three, machine, three machines per court. <laughs> anyway... No resilience. After, after that Saturday of selection, the girls not only now got chosen to be in their top teams representing Year 7... But they also got invited to be part of the academy, which only chose out of 250 students in year seven, 250 something, only the two of them have been chosen. So in, on the way back, I said to the girls, do you want to do this? And they said, yes. I said, but you understand that it means it's 100%. I don't, I don't need more than 100%, but it means 100% because mom and dad, we have to sacrifice. There are things that we're going to have to go without to make sure that you can afford to have all these things. And so the girls un- understood that. Actually, it was very nice because Zara actually hesitated and said, um, maybe we don't need to do this because it's going to cost some more. And so I said, no, that's not the point. The point is not about it. The point is using everything that, that is available, but using 100%. But then I said to them, do you remember all those hours of training that you've done over the last two years by yourself? when there was no one around you and you still went on the court and you did all the serving you did. Now, do you see how it's paying back? And I think, to me, that was a win. It was a vindication that really training does pay off, effort does pay off. When you go out there and you do things without the expectation, without the guarantee that you're going to be chosen for the, the squad, that it's actually going to pay off. I said to them, the good thing now is that the lousy coach that you have around you in your life is gone. You're now <laughs> going to have real coaches. And the beauty now is you have achieved all of these things by yourself. But it's only a step. What are you willing to do to climb the next step? Wow. You might have done a rod here, Danola. I think that uh, you got it today, man. When I saw that bottle, I went to him straight away. I said, I think today you're going to murder us. Oh. <laughs> I had two options. Uh, yeah. Tambalane, Tambalane. And that's the winery right next to where we did the kickstart. I thought that would be appropriate. And I had that. And then I was sick of you bitching and moaning about Danala's wines. 
No, actually, he was like quite Thomas smart. Thomas never said anything. Mate, he was quite smart, mate. He knew we tried that last one and we were going to give it to him this <laughs> way. And he thought, no, no, no. I'm going to shut them up. Right. But he's a salesman, man. For anyone who doesn't know, Chris had a bottle of wine stashed in the office for uh, his next podcast. And because he wasn't here last week, we found that bottle. We but did you know bottle. it was a special one? Yeah, it was from his dad's hometown. They should Village, stop yeah. making wine immediately. <laughs> Or they should Why at do least you think clean. your dad's left the town? <laughs> they, should, they should wash their feet before they stomp the grapes, the province, mate. It's from was, the province of where my dad's from. So that was absolute garbage. But, um, and you know how we know it was garbage? We'd already drank three bottles and it still tasted like garbage, mate. I think, uh, I think you just had shit wine to start with and it was oh, that good. Then it's just, you know, we had some yeah. fucking good wines last week. I'm surprised you didn't copy them again. <laughs> <laughs> so, boys, what are we going to do here now? Kickstart's finished now. What's the maybe top takeaway for you for this year? Oh, I was just going to pack up the manual, mate, and stick it in a drawer and wait till next year's Kickstart. <laughs> oh, a great, great takeaway. Yeah. It'll yeah. be a brand new one to, uh, for 2021. <laughs> now, for me, the takeaway is that line that I, I quoted before. Only a full glass can fill an empty glass. One of the biggest things I still struggle with is controlling my state in the office and around the team and making sure that I turn up or walk through the front door every morning in the right frame of mind to give them the best thing. And uh, I put that in the same category. For yeah, you saw right. the video I sent uh, this week? I watched half on, of on it the and then I fell yeah. asleep. No. Um, <laughs> full of, full of shit. Dinner no, tonight in my place, fuck off. No, <laughs> <laughs> no and, uh, look, I didn't... We, we spoke on the phone to you, Ellen. You said, look, you're not going to get a wow moment at every single seminar. And I, I probably didn't get a wow moment. It was a consolidation of information that I'd picked up from previous like things, yeah. yeah. And uh, my aha moments or my clicks had nothing to actually do with the figures or the plans or the team because we'd done so much work on that recently. It was more the when when he started talking about my kids and parenting aspects and what we're actually doing this for and then you know, something that I've owned up to and I've written in my own little what I need to get better at is controlling my state around the team and that line puts it in a, in a metaphorical sense that anyone can understand. And yeah. So that, for me, is something that I'll yeah. hang and, on and, to. And, for and now that you're saying this, you know, that your business aha moment may have been the numbers, but your leadership aha moment it was through our association when you saw my children around me. Yeah, 100%. I think yeah. that that's when I saw your leadership change. Yeah. Because well, I believe, you know, great leaders are great fathers. Great leaders are great mothers. Uh, and so if you can't do it at home, you can't well, do it what's the point of learning staff if you don't lead your own kids? Because it's, you don't go home to the staff. Your staff are relying on you, yes, but your kids are relying on you for life, mate. And everything we all know ourselves, the, the things we still carry from when we were growing up, that's, that's fucking bigger than what you do with someone who's not making 50 calls. That's, that's way bigger. And never have I underestimated that. Never have I uh, uh, not understood the importance of what being a good parent is, but... I also can admit that I was a father at 25 years old and I haven't given it a real thought or a real effort until the last 18 months of actually, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah, right. Yeah, I just I was a dad because I had kids. Yep. You know? One weekend at your place, TL, flick that switch on. Yeah, we um, were playing tennis. Yeah, oh, fuck. My hip still doesn't work, <laughs> but... <laughs> The things that got touched on in Kickstart were just a continuation of that. Yeah, so. but I, I have seen that leadership yeah. change in you, though. From that point, I've seen it kept on going up. Now, it's for sure, we still make mistakes. We still go back to some of the old habits. But I, I noticed that big leap, if you will, that time when you conquered that mountain. It was time now for another mountain. That was great, man. 
How about you, man? For me, exciting times that were good at, out of Kickstart was really being able to s- set a roadmap to build the culture within a team. So we have a culture there, obviously, with the small team that we have, but now we're getting more members on. I'm very excited about implementing that and, and really building a team of unity and don't worry about the big things, the small things. Get the small things right, the daily little tasks. Get those done. The big things will follow. Yeah. They will fall into line. And probably the last biggest takeaway from the thing was revisit the freaking manual. And it's funny you started with throw it in the drawer and don't look at it again because the first thing that came to my mind was I've already sat down with my manual twice. Part of that reason of that is uh, my pairing this month. My partner asked me, he said, I want you to read the first 30 pages of the Kickstart manual again. So I've done that and then I, the following night I did 60 and I'm writing extra notes and actually going through the pages even more. So the association that we've had here, this small group here, yeah. is uh, Cameron had a bit of a spit about pairing yeah. and saying that people were picking the same people. Yeah. And you know what? I had to take a look in the mirror yeah. and there's people that I would avoid picking and to not set myself outside of the comfort zone. And I thought this year I'm not going to do the same thing. So the first month I didn't get to pick my partner. They picked me. My right. second month I've jumped on and it, like I think it was a clear board. I said I could pick everyone. So Darren was there. I said, that's the guy that's running the, the most successful team. I'm picking him. I've already got my wish list for the next three or four months. No, you're not in there. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you're in here every week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's already been good. Just the, just the week we've been in, I've spoken to Darren a couple of times. Revisiting that manual, I think, again, we take for granted something we always get given. And we get given this wealth of knowledge in the Foundation Manual 1, the Heart Book, Happiness in Business, all of them. I think we take them for granted and we're not revisiting that wealth of knowledge that well we have. That's very So I think we need to revisit that a lot more. Maybe that should be a subject at one stage, boys, because it is true. A lot of us study things and then they think that study equals reading. I've read it. I've heard it before. That's it. I know. And it's not true. The uh, last few weeks of 2019 were very depressing for me because I read my entire journal from 2019 and I was quite depressed when I found out that the lesson I was writing in November were the same lessons I wrote in January. Mm. And so I got so depressed I started to really think about it. Uh, I, I bought books. I started to read books and because I had decided to take the twins to uh, Bali for their birthday, I didn't want to be reading books in Bali, really, unless they were not around. And so I, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of work, and somehow something happened in January, and I climbed over that mountain. And you just have to keep on pushing. You can't be happy with status quo, you know? So seeing, for example, someone like you now wanting to conquer someone like Dan Butcher, you're going to have a great month, guarantee. He's the first person I ever called when I yep, wanted yep. help, mate. You just believe when he speaks. He just, he just says, go and do this, and there's nothing in your mind that says, yeah, no, that won't work. But by the same token, came as this. I'm not going to call someone, ask for help, and not do what they ask me to do. No, but that's not true. Most people do that, man. Don't do, <laughs> but don't do what they do. Okay. Most most people okay. call, get get advices, yeah. and then apply the parts they like, or been, it's easy, and then disregard the parts that's too difficult. And you've been guilty of that in the past. Uh, in the past, yeah. that, that is. Can the you past just exactly. shut up, mate? No, but now he's, you're there hunting for shit on no, him, no. you bastard. No, no, he's no, he's no. right. He he's right. I'm sick of mediocrity. I'm sick of 
having the knowledge and not acting. And that for me is what I've taken from Kickstart mostly this year and the association that from you guys is that I, the action is the only thing that I can put into place now. Yeah. I, I know what I need to know. I need to put it into action. Your list of commitments this year, how different were they from your list of commitments last year? We had the right commitments or things. I think the first exercise we did where I, where I caught it was what from 2019 yeah. are we going to avoid in 2020? Word for word, it was some of the stuff from last year and word for word, it was stuff from 2018 yep. and word for word, it was stuff from 2017. Sounds like my book, say, mate. No, but I had to say stop. Yeah, Everyone stopped. I said, I'm not doing this again. Oh, what? Well, every year for the last three years, we've committed to study the manual is what we've written. We're going to read 10 pages every week and by third week it's not happening so I said we're not committing to that this year I'm not writing the same stuff in the book again and all of a sudden it was like oh what are we going to do <laughs> oh we're going to avoid mediocrity no that's bullshit so and I wonder how many other people are in that same situation and that's why I asked you how many times you're just writing down the same shit because one it sounds good and two it feels good means absolutely nothing what does avoid mediocrity mean why are we going to say again we're going to study 10 pages of the book every week when we've said it and never done it in the past. I, mean, Look, I, I think I think this is something that I've done in the, these last two nights that we get a limited time at Kickstart and why it's quite con- concise. Oh, we need to give ourselves time to go back through it and do exactly what you're just saying then, Cam, is to saying, okay, I'm going to hold people accountable. What does that look like? How am I going to do it? That sort of thing. I'm going to avoid mediocrity. Okay, what's that look like? The problem is for people who never pick the book up again, they get to the next year and they write avoid mediocrity again because but they've it, never gone back to break down what mediocrity. Their journey's different, man, here. and that's and that's the unfortunate thing. Yeah, but if they're, we're doing a group exercise, setting a plan for a business that involves multiple people, we're not we can't we're not I'm not settling for. So then you I'm have going, to hold those partners accountable during that. Commitment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So I just wonder. How, the shits, right? I wonder how many other anger. people. Yeah. No. I just said no. We're not having that. Okay. Good. What does that mean? That was the, and that was the end of the conversation. It was, we moved on to the next thing. I ask you this then, holding each other accountable and you've all made commitments to each other and you've made commitments to yourself, what do you do if there's breaks on those? And how do you handle that? Lunch. (laughs) Always works, man. Very fucking expensive. But it works all the time. What I really want to say to you is this. When Charlotte rides a horse in dressage, if the horse doesn't do what she wants to do, the first thing she does is make correction with her fingers without the judge seeing that she's moving. If it's not happening, she has to use her legs. If it's not happening, she has to use a seat. And if it's not happening, she has to use a spur. You know, She's not allowed a whip in dressage, so she can't get to that level. But in training, she can. So after a little while, the horse knows cheap lunch, not so cheap lunch, expensive lunch, painful lunch, the whip. And... After a little while, the horse starts to go, oh, okay, okay, I know what's coming up next. I better start behaving. And this is what happens. When you do the things that goes from cheap lunch up to the other thing, man, it hurts. I skip and, the cheap And people lunch. want to change after, when it reaches that moment of, man, that's enough. They change. So uh, why is it that I, I install that when I've learned that at the age of 23 from a leader, and people are still not using it today. Yeah. <laughs> well, where was my cheap lunch? Uh, I think I think that your cheap the, lunch was somewhere here. The first one was nine hundred and sixty-four dollars. No, that's so not. I'm, true. I'm that's just wondering. 
<laughs> which, by the way, you invited to the next two that this man owes me. So now that he said it, you're invited to the next two. <laughs> but do you realise it's still an invite from you, not from him? No, no, when, when you I lose... I don't invite people I to my that. punishment lunches, <laughs> <laughs> But you ring them and say, don't you say a fucking word about me forgetting to send my results through. Yeah. Mate, we're so all in this that, together. But eh? <laughs> I'm keeping you accountable. You know, yeah, but yeah, like Murphy's law. I, I can't dodge it. Mate, the universe loves me and hates me all at the same time. I made oh, that. Uh, well, listen, boys, thank you so much for today. I, I think that it was a very good recap of uh, Kickstart. And um, we'll catch up next week for some great news. Peace out. Awesome. Thank you very Jeez. much, boys. Corona. Bye. Bye.